Guys, new week, new show with my new friend Brandon at Silencer Central. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. gentlemen welcome to this episode of the western huntsman podcast this is jim huntsman your host coming at you from the broken time studio right here in clark fork idaho how you guys doing this week um i wanted to bring on somebody in fact actually we have a we have a mutual friend uh somebody who's been on the show before baker levitt uh with black rifle coffee uh introduced me to brandon maddox who is the Brandon, actually, I'll let you explain that. Are you the CEO, founder? What, what do you do for uh, Silencer Central? Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm all the above. Founder, CEO, janitor, anything that needs to be done. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. You got to wear a lot of hats when you're uh, when you're in that chair, right? Absolutely, 100%. So I, um, one of the reasons why I really liked the idea of getting you on this uh, on this episode and why I think that people will get a lot out of it is because you're talking to a guy that knows almost nothing about silencers. Uh, I've, I've never, I've never put one on any, uh, any of my rifles or weapons. Uh, and I, it's one of those things where I've, I've been kind of kicking it around from a sense of when I'm coyote hunting, if I've got two of them coming in, uh, it'd be nice if I had a quieter rifle to, to knock one down before I go to the next without scaring it off. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. And so uh, before we get into all that, uh, give us kind of the snapshot of your background and how you got where you're at with Silencer Central. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's sort of a different background, so I think that intrigues people. Um, you know, oddly enough, I'm a pharmacist by trade, so I went to pharmacy school in North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I went into the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, they made me go back to school and get my um, MBA at Duke. So I worked kind of my way up the corporate ladder in the pharmaceutical industry. And uh, then I met my wife, who's from South Dakota. She's also a pharmacist. And we moved um, to South Dakota. And, uh, you know, I honestly don't know. I grew up in the South, so I don't know if I'd ever heard of a prairie dog or knew what one was. But after <laughs> seeing them as I drove through the, you know, the South Dakota, North Dakota, Wyoming area, Montana, I decided that might be something I would like to shoot. Uh, it seemed like the perfect scenario. You, you can wear shorts, you know, you're wearing sunscreen. Uh, you don't have to get up and move a whole lot. You don't have to eat it. You don't have to dress it. You know, it, it ranchers are begging you to come. I mean, it just fit all, it checked all the right boxes. Um, sure. And, and what I found, you know, like, obviously it's a hobby, but it's like, gosh, how do I get better? How do I, you know, have better luck? You know, you hate to drive four or five hours west. You take one shot and all the prairie dogs go into their holes. So, um, you know, early two thousands, I got the idea of, gosh, if I could just get a suppressor to mitigate that sound, I would have better luck. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the first time, um, I went to buy a suppressor, uh, hundred percent unknowns. I couldn't even find anyone to give me a testimonial as to whether it would work for hunting. So 
I bought one. Uh, it was a huge win. I mean, I actually ran out of ammunition on my first adventure to the Prairie Dog Town with a suppressor. So I was, really? uh, oh yeah, I was like instantly hooked. Um, but I had bought the wrong suppressor, so it became this evolution of continuing to buy a better one that would sort of fit my, um, you know, application. Because what I found in the early 2000s is pretty much everything was more of a tactical type suppressor, kind of set up for you know, tactical shooting, range shooting, and in my mind, very different than, you know, a hunting scenario. So, mm-hmm. and then also going through the process of buying the suppressor is very difficult. I mean, it's not a knock on a local gun store, but typically that's not their business model. Typically they uh, have a customer come in get a product, get a background check and leave with it. So it's a kind of a single transaction, if you will. Yeah. And a suppressor, it can be a fair amount of back and forth. So it's, how do you, you know, how do you manage that? Um, you know, my local gun store had one guy that was in charge of it. Every time I went in there, it just seemed like he was gone. Or every time I called, he wasn't there. And just hard to have that continuity of, uh, of um you know administrative stuff that had to be done so that's when i you know i ended up getting my own license so i could do suppressors myself the licenses are actually kind of expensive i figure the wife's going to lean on me like you're spending all this money just to make it easier for you to get your own suppressors you got to sell a few just to cover the license and uh her siblings are all dentists and they you know they were all interested in suppressors and next thing i know they're telling their friends and Really, we started working gun shows, and I think that was great because we were able to talk to sort of what I would call the thought leaders of the experts in the firearms area to give us feedback um, on our business model and also the products we offered. And so it just created, you know, 2005 is when we officially started, and it just created this mission since then to make the process of buying a suppressor as simple as possible. Cause what I found is that is the obstacle yeah, customer walks up sure. to the booth. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's zero people that you talk to that shoot a rifle that says, Hey, I don't think I want to make it quieter. And then zero people who get recoil say, I don't think I, you know, I don't want to get rid of the recoil. So when you'd say, Hey, I can mitigate sound and recoil or you're interested hundred percent of people say yes. And then when you ask them why probably 95% say it's the process. And so when you make the process easier, uh, that becomes a business model. But the great thing is we've had, gosh, you know, almost 18 years in April of working on it every day of how do we make it easier. So that's kind of the background, how we started. That's kind of the business model. A hundred percent, I'd say our focus since day one has been the hunter. How do we get a product for him or her that fits what they're doing and not try to do both, not try to be tactical and hunting, just focus on hunting. I mean, we sell, you know, all suppressors, but just our mindset has always started and, you know, probably always will be based on Hunter first since, you know, that's kind of where our model started. You know, it's, you said a couple things in there that uh, kind of piqued my interest in a, from the standpoint of um, on a personal side, personal story. Uh, in fact, this week I had to go in and uh, I finally, after this year is uh, it's been 20 years since I've been out of the Marines and uh, my wife has been, Talking about my bad hearing for uh, ever since I've known her, and especially right. out of my left side, and so it's I, I and I always just kind of fought it, and now oh, my hearing's not that bad. But I took so I take my kids elk hunting last year, and and I'm calling for elk, and they're like, "Dad, did you just hear that bugle? Did you just hear that elk?" And I'm going, "What are you talking about? I didn't hear an elk." And apparently, I I'm curious to know how many elk that I have missed out an opportunity on because I couldn't hear them. And so, right. um, same with turkeys and everything else. That you call. In fact, my daughter heard a buck walking in on us this year that I didn't hear. She said, dad, I can hear one walking. I can hear one walking. And sure enough, he pops out on the left side and, and we didn't get an opportunity on him. So long story short, 
uh, I'm apparently pretty deaf, and I didn't I didn't know it. Uh, so I go I go take this test with the VA uh, huh. on Monday and totally bombed it, man. Ooh, <laughs> so, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of those things where uh, it the that's where. I remembered I was I I was coming out of that that test and I'm thinking I remember okay I'm doing a show this week with a guy that makes silencers yeah and, and I'm curious because I mean I know people do it but when I'm in the field who's going to take the time when you're deer hunting for example and put uh, something some kind of ear protection in and so totally. it's it's I suppose that is a way of saying that that would be another benefit for hunters is the silencer isn't going to leave you not only scaring everything off the mountain, uh, but it's, it's also going to protect your hearing. Uh, can you talk about how, like, give us a basic, how does a silencer work and, and decibel level wise, what does it reduce on an average? Most of your big game rifles, does that make sense? How I asked that? Yeah. Good questions. Um, you know, so, you know, some basics on suppressors. Some people think it hurts accuracy. It'll actually improve. It's just the, you know, the weight on the end of the barrel creates some more stabilization. So typically you see, you know, from a repeatability standpoint, it's almost like having a bull barrel, bull barrel. you're going to have a, a tighter group. So it doesn't hurt accuracy unless you don't have it threaded properly. The other thing about the suppressor is that hole through the middle is bigger than the bullet. So nothing touches. So it doesn't slow it down. A lot of people have this misconception. I think video games depict, um, you know, it, it hurting this, the feet per second, but that's not the case. So it actually speeds it up a little bit. Not a lot, you know, 5, 10, 15 feet per second. Yeah. But essentially, if you look at, you know, you could do a Google search for like, you know, silencer cutaway. And what you'll see is a lot of little chambers. And the whole goal is to let the bullet do its thing but to sort of carve the gas off and the hope is that the essentially the silencer itself the materials are going to absorb that heat in the gas and transfer that heat in the gas to the actual suppressor so that that by the time the gas does exit it's been slowed down the gas itself specifically has been slowed down enough that by the time it exits exits the suppressor it, it just makes it quieter um you know as far as like actual how much it reduces you know, it gets it gets kind of confusing because um, decibel levels are logarithmic. So it's always hard to talk about like logarithmic. Typically, at a show, if someone would ask me, I would say, "Hey, you know, if you look at a set of earplugs, um, you know, like even industrial kind, you would buy anywhere. You know, they're typically rated from like you know seventeen to twenty-two decibel drop. Mm-hmm. But what you see with a suppressor is typically it's going to drop it like closer to forty. So it's um, oh, that's you know, a it's, big difference. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I used to kind of bring a visual like, Hey, you know, here's a set of earplugs and, you know, suppressors can be better than that. You know, most suppressors are hearing safe, meaning they're 140 decibels or less. And, um, I would say that the clarification that people should think about is, um, you know, I've seen suppressors say they're rated for say a 300 wind mag, but the, the bigger question is, are they hearing safe with a, you know, a 300 wind mag, just sort of thinking through the difference there. But, you know, some people still will wear um, hearing protection. I typically don't just because of the things you talked about where, you know, my experience is hunting is typically social. You're hunting with someone else. You want to talk, you want to communicate, you want to know what's going on just from a safety perspective. And um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah, but the hard part with suppressors is like, if you have a guy that comes up and says, Hey, you know what? I shoot two rounds a year, you know, I sight it in and then I shoot the animal. I don't, I don't need a suppressor. But what I always challenge them with is 
I've never in all my years of, you know, 18 years doing this and we sell a hundred thousand silencers a year. I've never met anyone that went hunting with a suppressor who didn't come back and say, man, why didn't I do that? You know, 10 or 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it makes, it makes sense. Um, I want to clarify like decibel levels. Uh, I, I'm not sure where most modern rifles hit. You, you'd mentioned around that 140. So good question. So like a 308, if you shot a 308, you're going to be at about 167 decibels. So your goal is you want to be able to get it down to 140 because OSHA says 140 is hearing safe. Now, some people will be like, oh, is that really hearing safe? It's The shot is so quick that it's not like it's a sustained noise. Like, you know, if you're working in a warehouse, you wouldn't want 140 yeah. sustained all day. You know? yeah, so it's a little bit different metric. That's a good way to put it because like I know a, a lawnmower is somewhere in the neighborhood of like 85 decibels. And because of the, the longevity that you're standing behind yes. it, it could be damaging yeah. versus, you know, uh, taking a shot on a deer. One one shot is not going to, I don't know, uh, the, the 160 could be super damaging, but 140 is, is sustainable. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the OSHA feedback that you know like the the milliseconds that that lasts and you know we have a testing meter we test them and it's always hard to find these meters that can read that blast because it's so quick. I mean it just mm -hmm. happens and it's such a short period of time. So that's the number OSHA's come up with. The, the other hard part is you know the military looks at like a meter to the right of the muzzle. Typically, you know since that's the military standard, I know they're trying to update that. We typically have two meters, so we'll test you know, a meter out so that we're consistent with everyone else's testing. But then also we do, you know, by the shooter's ear. Cause at the end of the day, that's in my mind, what most people want to know is how is it at the shooter's ear? Yeah. And, uh, you know, t typically it's better because that's further away, but not always, you know, if you're shooting an AR, you may have some sound coming out the side just from the action, but with a bolt action, um, it's typically almost a hundred percent louder up at the front, obviously, you know, a meter out to the right than it is at the ear, which is even better. What what rifle, what kind of weapons can you put these suppressors on? Is is there any limitation to that? You know, the only thing that I have ever, you know, found has a limitation, of course, would be like a wheel gun. You know, if you had some type of pistol that's, um, you know, you don't have a chamber where it's actually in there. There's just too many ways for the gas to, you know, expand around the outside. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the most common are, you know, hunting rifles, you know, probably the, the original probably the most popular is the AR just because you have the flash hide that screws off or the brake and then the threads are already there and it screws right on. But as you're seeing pretty much almost every rifle that comes out today uh, for sale has threads on the end because it has a brake. So you just take the brake off and it screws right on. You know, really there's, um, I, there's not too many, the, the limitation you have with like say a handgun is typically you got to get a replacement barrel. You know, there's some barrels out there that are rim fired that you can easily thread, you know, we can put it in our machines and thread, but when it comes to like, you know, if you have a, a Glock or something where you end up buying a, a better, a new barrel that drops in, and it's got an extension on the front with threads on it. And they're, they're over the years, they've become more cost effective because so many people are selling them. But, you know, just a regular rifle, you know, Silencer Central offers a service where we'll mail you an empty gun case. You can throw your rifle in it. It comes to us via FedEx ground. You know, have a gunsmith takes it apart, have a machinist that threads it, and then we just ship it right back to you. So oh, really? we have seen, yeah, we've seen obstacles. I mean, so our goal at Silencer Central is how do we reduce all obstacles? Because I used to work shows and people would say, ah, you know, I like my local gunsmith. I just don't know if he he has the expertise to thread a barrel and make sure that it's threaded properly. And just to sort of lower that, you know, threshold of concern, we say, hey, we have a whole service that, that we've done that with. We have really great rates negotiated with FedEx Ground where we can 
very inexpensively mail you a gun case. You put your rifle in it, ship it to us. We thread it and ship it right back. That's uh, that's a pretty cool service. I didn't even think about that part of it because, like, you know, I don't have any. Th- uh, for example, I've got a I've got a three hundred Win Mag. Uh, that, oh yeah, uh, that it's not threaded. Right. Um, but I do have like the one I if if I was going to prioritize one of my weapons, it would be one of the AR fifteens uh, specifically that I I use for coyote hunting. Oh sure. And so. Um, yeah, you could just send an upper, but no, it's it's very popular to you know thread. We'll do you know hundred hundred a day. Um, you know, it's uh, we get guns in from all over the country. You know, I keep thinking, all right, eventually we're going to catch up, and everything people are buying are already threaded, but that's <laughs> clearly not been yeah. uh, the case. And we put a thread protector on there so that when you're transporting it, you know, you won't have your suppressor on there. Typically, you don't have to worry about you know messing up the the threads and whatnot. You know, the other interesting insight we had, and I haven't seen this as much. Um, in currently, but in the past, a hundred percent of our warranty claims were baffle strikes, and it was because the barrel wasn't threaded properly locally. Mm. And the, the hard part for us was, you know, they know their gunsmith better than they do us, so they say, "Well, it's the silencer's fault." Um, so then, once we went to, "Hey, we can thread," and I could tell if people aren't confident in their gunsmith, they send it to us, and then essentially that warranty issue's gone away completely. So I, I'm just I'm curious. Because we've talked about, you've talked about kind of reducing the the difficulty it can be to a get get a silencer, b get it installed. What what are some of the challenges? Because I know it's it's you can't correct me if I'm wrong. In most places, you can't just walk into like a Cabela's and buy a, a suppressor. Yeah, good point. Um, so it, the one thing to think about is remember these laws were written in 1934, the you know the NFA, and it was created for really machine guns. So mm-hmm. It's unfortunate that silencers got thrown into the same mix. You know, I would even argue there was really no advocate at the table for suppressors. And, you know, they probably got thrown in there and no one even thought second about it. They're like, well, no one uses those anyway, really. So people are like, why did the government do that? I'm not sure it was a, you know, and I've heard other stories. I've heard, well, they tried to put handguns into that. It was a trade out. Well, let's put silencers in there. So it's hard to know what the actual discussion was in Congress to make that happen. But you know, the, the reason why it's good to think about it in 1934 is back then there was really no computer to do, a, you know, a background check on someone to see if they're a felon. So the process is very, um, I would say it's a bit archaic. But the best analogy I've come up with for buying a suppressor is, because most of my customers drive trucks, I always say it's just like buying a truck. It's a title transfer of, of, of like buying a truck. So your truck has a VIN number, and when you buy it from the dealership, they have to work with the courthouse to change the ownership from the dealership to the customer. And then, of course, the courthouse is going to charge a little bit for making that happen. The analogy plays through almost 100% for getting a suppressor. So the feds have us as the title holder of the suppressor. We ask them to do a title transfer from us to the customer. The feds charge a one-time $200 fee to make that happen. They do a background check to make sure that person can legally own and possess a firearm. Then they send an approval to me. And that approval is essentially a new title that says that they are the official owner of it. And then our process at Silencer Central is we're able to mail that suppressor uh, directly to your front door once the feds approve it. Wow. Huh. That is quite the process, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like what are the, with, it just doesn't make sense to me of all the things that you have to jump through hoops, putting a suppressor on, on a rifle just seems, it seems a little silly. What are the politics in that? Like today going, uh, when you're looking into the future, do you, are you worried about, 
where that goes uh, to make it more difficult for people to buy this? And I, I always hate asking two questions at once, but... No, that's a good question. So here's my perspective. So again, I admitted that, you know, I'm 50 years old. I've been doing this for a long time. Um, I was, you know, I was doing it part-time and, you know, the, the funny story about my career is I got fired for having a silencer business on the side. So oh, really? I had to pick, yeah, I had to pick between staying in the pharmaceutical industry where I was, you know, paid well and had a lot of success or do I double down on my part-time hobby and see if I can make a run at it. And of course, you can guess what my wife picked, but then you can guess what I picked. <laughs> <laughs> my wife liked the risk-stable uh, company car, yeah, yeah. great benefits. You know, she's like, I can't believe you would even consider. <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, you know, just from a historical perspective, so even just geographically near me. So when I first started doing this, um, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, if you look at a map, and I grew up, like I said, in the south, so my parents would be like, wow, where are you moving to again? Well, we touch Minnesota, Iowa, and Nebraska. When I first started doing this, they were illegal in Minnesota and also in Iowa. So I've seen, oddly enough, a positive trend where right now the silencers are legal in 42 states. When I first started, they weren't. And even if you look further, they weren't uh, legal for hunting. Um, even Montana was one of the slower states to adapt. Their game fishing park kind of liked the idea of hearing a shot, that dinner bell. They liked to hear it so they knew where you were. Yeah. So it took some you know, lobbying to get that changed. But now you can hunt in 41 states of the 42 um, I've never hunted in Connecticut, but I'm guessing that that's probably not a hot spot that everyone wants to go hunt and that there's probably a whole lot of legislative effort to try to fix that. But so my point is I've seen a lot of positive changes um, from uh, deregulation on suppressors, which is good. Uh, my other thought is the current process is very arduous. Like if you hear about all the steps you have to jump through um, as like a layperson, like a politician that doesn't know anything about firearms, they would say, wow, that's that's pretty rigorous. The, their bigger question would be, how do we put other firearms into that process if it's already in place, in my mind? Hmm. Um, and then the other part is when Trump was elected, uh, prior to him being inaugurated, the ATF uh, submitted an olive branch that was leaked out, probably intentionally, and they were interested in potentially sitting down with Trump and deregulating suppressors because in their mind, they're not a public safety issue. So it's easy to hate the government and it's easy to hate the ATF, but you know they don't want any extra work if they can get away with it. So they would love to deregulate suppressors uh, so that you know it'd be one less hassle for them because I think in their mind, at least now, it's not a public safety issue. So um, I think that in the future, I don't anticipate it getting any harder. My hope is that you know, most, I would say, you know, 99% of elected officials I meet with, they don't have any insight at all on, you know, silencers at all. But as we continue to get more and more owners out there, there's about 4 million suppressors in the commercial market now that have been registered that people own. The insight, though, is it's like a million people own all of them. So most people buy one. They're obsessed with how well it works. They end up buying two or three more. So mm -hmm. we have a small concentration of hunters and farms owners that have suppressors. They figured it out and they want more. Um, it's just getting the message out to other people. But my point is, as more people shoot these and as politicians become educated on them and as they see it's not a public safety issue, I'm in hopes that they continue to get deregulated, which would be amazing, would be great. Um, it's easy to sort of beat it up. You know, I travel a lot internationally just because my daughter used to dance all over the world. And um, people would say, well, you know, silencers aren't even regulated here. And, you know, people sort of get on that bandwagon. But 
the reality is most of those countries, you can't get the firearms. So, you know, they've picked one or the other to sort of regulate. And unfortunately, it's the suppressor in our country. What what happened with that uh, ATF request to deregulate them? Is that is that still kind of in process or? No, you know, I think it I, I think it is. You know, you hear people talk about the Herring Protection Act and the theory was to treat a suppressor the same as a regular firearm. Um, and I think that was just ATF basically signaling, hey, you know, we don't see them as a public safety issue. We wouldn't fight you if you try to deregulate these. That's just them sort of, in my mind, showing their hand at that point in time. Yeah, that's, um, that's true. You said you, you mentioned the word olive branch and they were they were hoping yeah. to get that back. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And who knows now with, you know, the what for cash for the last 15 or 20 years, most of the time the ATF has not had a head of of their branch. You know, it's typically been um, someone who's been in there forever, just, you know, kind of a career type person. But now, you know, Biden's put his own person in there. So he's directing him sort of like a puppet to do what he wants. So I wouldn't anticipate anything positive, you know, coming with that, unfortunately. And then, you know, I have two lobbyists that I hire full time that, you know, they work on a lot of other stuff, but in DC and they tell me it's an educational thing. It's just hard to get politicians. We can tell them until we're blue in the face that they're not a public safety issue, but until they hear that from more of their constituents, it's hard to get politicians on board because there's still just sort of this negative uh, perception or personification of suppressor use in general just because of Hollywood. Do you ever um, – y- y- yeah, don't get me started on the Hollywood topic. Uh, and, and how the- <laughs> we'll go down rabbit trails all day. Um do you ever get feedback from uh well i'm going to use wyoming as an as an example uh where if you get on a lot of the hunting forums in wyoming one of the big discussion points is you know when they do when the when the report of that rifle goes off you'd mentioned the term dinner bell yeah that that is a dinner bell for the grizz oh totally yeah you know what i mean so they hear this shot they know that there's going to be a carcass and they are on top of it and i believe that there is a law in place or some kind of regulation in place that if if a grizzly bear claims your um your animal that uh, is down you cannot do anything to try and recover it i i don't quote me on that. I'm not sure exactly what the the statute is on on that, but like we have we have grizzly bear up here where I live, uh, but they're they're a lot more you know prevalent in that around that Cody Wyoming area, and that's kind of what the oh, big yeah. discussion topic was. Is man, it is getting dangerous as to when when they shoot an elk, they got to get that sucker out of there and quick. And so, do you is that a customer base for you where if somebody is using a suppressor on on their rifle, getting an elk down, getting a deer down, whatever the case is, uh, that ha- have you had feedback that that has reduced that issue at all, or is that not something that is widely used enough to even consider as feedback? Yeah. So what I've seen personally is um, the benefit of using a suppressor, and people will say, "Well, it's not silent. It's not a silencer. It only suppresses it." But what I find in hunting is you can't tell where the shot came from. So you mm-hmm. talked about coyotes earlier. I mean, I, I've had a lot of guys say, hey, I shot at a coyote. I missed him. The bullet dropped behind him. He didn't know where the shot came from. He started running towards me. That's the norm. Um, so that yeah. I think I think there is a huge benefit, not necessarily that the grizzly wouldn't hear the shot, but they couldn't tell where it came from, so they wouldn't know where to, where to run towards or away from is the major benefit. Um you know, it's funny. I, it's hard for me. Like, I guess I wake up every day thinking about how to get into the customer's head because from my perspective, anyone that uses 
a suppressor for hunting is in love with it. A couple weeks ago, I was down at FTW um, Ranch where they do a lot of hunting training and shooting and um, people from all over the country. And I'm talking to them about suppressors. No one owns one. And before I left, everyone wanted one. It's just they weren't educated. They didn't see the benefits. But then to actually sit and shoot and and see ours in action, they're like, oh, gosh, I got to have one of those. (laughs) Um, So I guess your question is that a niche, maybe I think that still the bigger part is just educating hunters in general. Um, It sounds self-serving for me. But like I said, um, every time I meet someone, who uses it they're like wow i wish i'd done this a long time ago there's never a oh gosh i wish i hadn't gone through this whole process this is not good 100 percent of people are like i'm so glad i have it i don't know why i didn't before have you is this something you've always um i mean firearms wise i you, yeah. you kind of told me the 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 walk you've had with the with the suppressors um but is our firearms something that's always been of interest to you have you always been passionate about them or or something that you've always been drawn to yeah, and I, honestly, I think it's genetic because what's interesting is my parents are both, um, you know, they're conservative, you know, Southern Baptist types, mm-hmm. but they're very well educated. So my parents would always, I think in their mind, they felt like firearms were blue collar. So that we, I mean, we had firearms in our house, but we never did really have any exposure to them. But um, my uncles uh, and my grandfather were big into firearms and enjoyed hunting. So I think it was, to me, it was a passion. It was a genetic passion, but then also as a kid, whatever your parents tell you, you can't do that looks cool. You want to do more. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> totally. So my uncle was sort of my mentor on that end and um, w- which was great. So I wouldn't say like I knew a ton about firearms. I mean, just being like 110% candid when I first started you know, prairie dog hunting, a lot of that was all new stuff for me, but hey, what better way to learn than just double down and buy and try and, you know, test. And then when I started working gun shows and you have like experts asking you like very difficult questions, I actually hired people to the, come to the shows with me, typically college students that had weekends free who were, you know, gun nuts. And I just said, hey, I'm getting so many questions that are kind of outside of my area of expertise. And I think it's hurting my credibility because I know 100% everything about a suppressor but I don't know a hundred percent about all these other firearms they're bringing up and by hiring someone to sit there with me for years, helped me gather it and then to get into other discussions with customers on different firearms. And of course now, you know, we have tons of firearms here that we just use for shows that we take or do demos and live fire events that, um, so to your question, I wouldn't say it was like something that I necessarily grew up with consistently every day or even had like a, a fatherly mentor on a weekly basis. It was just more of a train myself. And then in the summers with my grandfather and uh, uncle is now, now that you do this, has that, I mean, I know you hunt prairie dogs, but has it opened the door to, to other hunting opportunities for you? Do you, do you, do you do any elk hunting? Do you do any deer hunting? That sort of thing. You know, yeah, you know what? That's a good question. So, um, you know, we, we sponsored a, uh, my media team, you know, we go to them and we say, Hey, here's our, here's our media spend. We want to spend, you know, help us find the best places to spend it to reach the customers we want to reach. And, um, you know, I literally found out about this time last year that we sponsored, um, Chris Dorsey, who does, um, an outdoor TV show. And he calls and says, Hey, you know, you sponsor me. And I'm like, okay. You know, I, I wasn't fully aware of where my media team had spent money. <laughs> uh-huh. And, uh, he said, we're going to Africa. And I'm like, okay, what do I need to bring? <laughs> and, um, you know, it's funny because everyone I talked to customer wise and even our suppliers, a hundred percent of them said, Brandon, as you're flying home, you'll be planning your second trip to Africa. And I thought to myself, well, I, you know, I don't know. I just don't have enough experience shooting large game to know if that's something that I'm going to enjoy or what. 
I'm telling you, like a day in, I was 100% obsessed. I mean, I did start planning my second trip before I even left the first trip. <laughs> I mean, it was just so much yeah. fun to be like, I think the good thing for me is in my world, um, I, I get calls not, I mean, I have like 300 employees, so I get calls, issues, like things happen nonstop that I can never get away from. I mean, if you have a phone in your hand and a computer, you can never get away. So when you go to Africa and your phone doesn't work and you're sitting there with a tracker who's an expert at finding animals and you sit there with a professional hunter that knows everything about what you're hunting, I just became obsessed. I'm like, man, this is like the best thing ever. Um, so to your question, I've gotten more interested in hunting, more involved. I mean, I've even said, hey, I want to put a part of our budget on hunting trips where we get to interact with experts in the industry so that I can learn more, but also they can learn more about what we do. Yeah. And we've allocated a big chunk of our budget to, hey, let's do a trip to wherever and hunt. Let's get riders there who have no experience with suppressors and maybe don't understand the process. And if we spend two or three days in camp with them, they can educate us on what we should be doing differently and we can educate them on the suppressor process. So for, I mean, I'm just being like very transparent and candid. I mean, a lot of times people are like, wow, we just assumed you're like some big hunter. I'm like, no, there was the genetics were there and the exposure was there, but it just has really taken off maybe more in the last five years. Folks, I have never been great at sitting down and doing a bunch of research to find the right tag in the right state for the right species. That's why I rely on Eastman's Tag Hub. I don't know if you guys have checked it out yet, but Eastman's Tag Hub takes a trusted hunting research you rely on and have for years to a powerful new digital platform. You could jump in there and find the right hunting units in 11 different states and try to find the perfect tag to fit your budget and your goals. It's a great way to cut out all that external research that just gives you a headache and if you're anything like me, you just don't have the patience for it. Let them do the work for you. And the cool part about Eastman's Tag Hub is it's a monthly payment option. You don't have to pay some big fee to get into it. It starts at like 7 bucks a month. And it gives you access to everything to include access to the world-famous Eastman's Hunting Journal magazines. It's a great deal, guys. Check it out at taghub.eastmans.com. You should, uh, yeah, yeah. You should, you should do a bear hunt, man. I, I think that oh, it would. I'd love it. You yeah, know, you're yeah, talking about Idaho. I, I'm yeah. on wolf right now. For some reason, wolf's in the head. That's what I want to do next. Wolves, <laughs> wolves are uh, a perfect candidate. Where, in fact, when when Baker was kind of intro introducing us via email, there, uh, yeah. my first thought was, man, that would be actually pretty perfect for wolf hunting. Because oh, yeah. there is nothing smarter than a wolf when when you're oh, hunting, yeah. and and so like, I I I mean I've I've argued and people have argued with me about it, but it's usually people that have never hunted a wolf. I, I would say that wolves are probably the most difficult animal to hunt in North America. Oh, um, interesting. They're extremely smart. They work together. They're super ah. intuitive and instinctive, and and it's like it's just a man. Is it a challenge? And so oh, yeah. and and. I'm telling you, this is coming from a guy who's never actually killed one. Uh, I have just tried, and yeah. I'm, I, I consider myself a pretty decent hunter, and I cannot get a wolf. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, they're they're really they're really fun to fun to do. You really got to know kind of um, some basic fu fundamental things about them. But if you had a the the suppressor, the silencer on the on the weapon, that that would make a that would that would be a huge deal. Uh, especially if it's again like you said, it's not like you're making it silent. 
you are no. uh, disorienting where the sound is coming from, and and that 100%. would be that would be key. That would be key with wolves. So I'd be up for it, man. Come come hang with me. Uh, I'll, I'll find somebody who's really good at it though, and and we'll go out with them. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, you know most of our customers in the Dakotas, specifically where I've spent a lot of my time, they're big into coyote hunting. So them, that's the yeah. that's the next level, you know. So. And, you know, we're kind of equipped out here with thermals and, you know, larger round bullets. And, no, I think it would be, um, yeah, super exciting. For some reason, that's definitely on my list. But, you know, one thing that I learned on large game in Africa, um, because you don't have that loud sort of percussion of the, of the rifle going off, you're able to tell by the sound of the impact if you had a good placement of your shot, which, as oh, you know, is so important. Yeah, yeah. it's so important. Uh, you could just hear by the hit. I mean, obviously, you're always trying to look through the scope to see so that you know if you need to put another, you know, round in. But, uh, wow, you could just tell because it the loudest sound is the actual impact. And the tracker who, you know, of course, that's his job is to make sure the animal is dead and then we find it. They loved it. I mean, they're like high-fiving me. And this was in South Africa where suppressors were legal, but they just said no one ever uses them just because they're not comfortable or familiar with them. Even though they're legal there, like you can buy them in the hardware store. So you, uh, super interesting. You'd mentioned like people have, they have this impression that silencers can uh, make the the rifle less accurate or, or whatever. What other misconceptions do hunters specifically have about suppressors that you feel like you're always kind of up against yeah and it's some of the so like one obstacle is and people don't tell you this but i could just tell when i start talking to them you know i'm kind of scared to get into the suppressors i got a lot of guns and if i have to put one on every gun that's not gonna that, that, it's almost like a pandora's box they don't want to open up mm -hmm. but then when you tell them you know i like i love to tell them listen i've got a 30 cal suppressor it's called a banish 30 it'll work on every center fire rifle you have probably in your safe you just see their eyes light up like oh my gosh i only have to buy one suppressor and i can put it on every rifle i own see, wow i, I wish one had told me that yeah yeah I like I you just could just I, yeah i could see their i could see the light go off in their head i mean and then the other thing is so i just worked the dallas safari club down in um dallas this past weekend and you know as you know, Texas, they know their guns and they know suppressors and they do a lot of varmint hunting. But for for them, they don't like the extra weight on the end of the barrel. So when I hand them the banished backcountry that's 100% titanium and it's super short, super light, everyone I hand it to is like, all right, take my money. How do we get started? I mean, it's just <laughs> they can't believe how light it is to put on the end of the gun. So the other obstacle is people think it's going to add too much weight or length to the end of their barrel. And they're kind of like, ah, I don't want to add that. It's like a mental you know, obstacle, like, you know, everything's working. I can see the front, I can see the crown, everything's good. I don't want to add or do anything to it. But then when you hand them something like that, that's super light, that weighs like, you know, 7.8 ounces, all titanium, you're like, oh my gosh, that's nothing. I, I need this. How do we get started? <laughs> yeah, that's super light. I, I just pulled it up on your website. The Banished Backcountry, rated for calibers up to 300 rum. Rum, yeah, rum uh, ultra mag. Backcountry drops the decibel level down to 135, so it weighs 7.8 ounces. Uh, it's only five point five inches long. I that, mean, it's short. Is that the thirty as well that you could put yeah. pretty much on any thirty cal? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can put that on, you know, your six five, your two forty three, your two two three. So when I'm at a show and yeah, someone's yeah. walking by, yeah, if someone's at a show and they're walking by, I hand them the suppressor, 
put my hands in my pocket and just let them hold it. And they're like, wow, I can't believe how light it is. And then when you tell them that it works on every one of these rifles they own, and it's interesting how you go to a different geography, they shoot something different, like Minnesota's 270s. And, mm-hmm. you know, it seems like wind mag's really big in open areas, you know, in the yeah. open states. But, yeah, just – and then, obviously, the – be able to use the multi-caliber where you could buy something and use it on everything. They, they like that. Um, and then when we tell them we do all the paperwork for them, like we manage the paperwork to get the suppressor. It's like the job's in our lap. I mean, I'll hear people say, gosh, they kept texting me because I wouldn't respond. I love it. That you know, it's kind of like having my wife going, Hey, you're going to take the garbage out. Where are we at on that? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, that's one of the questions I had for you is, is how long generally does it take? Or, or I guess would, does that change state for state? No, good question. It's federal. So they all go, um, you know, we send all the paperwork, we send it digitally, um, but it gets um, sent back to us digitally. But years ago, we sent it, it's being processed in West Virginia. So it's the same staffing with the branch of ATF doing all of them. So they're all pretty much the same. Um, You know, it's always hard to predict what the turnaround is going to be. And I'll tell you why that is. So um atf in 2021 they got 375,000 applications and they told us publicly to the industry at you know town hall meetings that once they moved to a digital process that they would be able to do the transactions in 90 days which was very attractive to us i mean we bought a lot of inventory got pretty excited but what we found out is when uh the customer base heard 90 days, there was a surge in demand and they are, they're anticipating last year, they were going to get 800,000 applications in and the customers now are waiting, you know, seven, eight, nine months. So it's just, it's really weird. Like if it, when I first started doing this, it took two weeks. And of course that's because no one really knew about them, Mm -hmm. but now it sort of fluctuates based on demand. So the demand is based on the wait time, but you know, I'm always the optimist in my role. So I'm, optimistic that the feds i know they have hired more people i send the nfa branch each of them a christmas card every year so they send me a employee count of how many employees they have and every year it goes up and this year it went up so i know they they're hiring more people to process these it's just always feels like it's a little slower than it should be but what i do know is in december 2021 they moved to an all digital process which is about four times faster for them to process than the old paper ones. Mm -hmm. So even though their employees aren't growing as quickly as we would like, just the ability to do these transfers quickly because they're digital. So when a customer buys from us, we upload 100% of the paperwork that the customer does to the ATF digitally. So we have a process where we worked with the ATF to create DocuSign. So we're just sending you all the paperwork, DocuSign, you're signing it, we're uploading it to the ATF. When it comes back approved, then we're able to mail it to your front door. Okay, because and that I think is one of the one of my where it was like I had a buddy I think it was Roger Holcher who's who's been on this show he was talking about going through the process or or uh, if I'm wrong some it was somebody else but he was telling me how long it was taking to get that approved yeah and that's where it's like okay I'm I'm mildly interested in pursuing this oh what it's taking you know almost yeah. a year uh, never mind yeah kind of thing. yeah so, yeah it, yeah it that's sounds the sounds like a headache but. No, I agree. That is an obstacle. So what we do is I found this to be like super attractive. And again, this is just me working the shows, talking to the people face to face that are buying them. But biggest obstacle to the show is, man, my wife's going to kill me if I spend that much money today and I have to wait a year to get it. Yeah, you know, she's going to yeah. kill She's going to kill me if I buy a $400 Yeti cooler, but at least I brought it home. You know, with, <laughs> with, with, with this, I'm waiting a year. So what we've done is we've told customers, hey, pay while you wait, man. We get it. We don't want your wife mad at you. We're not going to charge you interest. There's no fees. 
I mean, if you want to give me a hundred bucks today over the phone, we'll get you started. We'll submit all the paperwork. Just have it paid off before it's approved. And people love that. I mean, it just, it's this concept <laughs> yeah, that's of, cool. yeah, it's just this concept of dude, I'm in the boat with you. Cause the reality is I just wrote a check the other day for my insurance. So we have a hundred million dollars worth of suppressors out here waiting for the feds to approve them. I paid $400,000 in insurance to make sure that if a storm comes by and takes them all away, that they're able to get replaced to the insurance. So Obviously, I'd love to get them out of here sooner. You know, interestingly enough, the IRS will not let me recognize the revenue of selling that suppressor until you have it. And that's what my bank looks at. They, they look at, well, we can't, we can't lend you any money, Mr. Maddox, because you don't have any revenue. Well, I don't have any revenue because so I'm waiting for the feds to approve it. So it's, you know, it's this ever-ending yeah. discussion and process. But, yeah, we're, we're um, wanted out of here as quickly as possible, too. But that's why we sort of created this, hey, pay while you wait. Um, Put a hundred bucks down, put 200 bucks down, whatever you want. Just pay monthly, pay every quarter, whatever works for you and your individual situation. Cause we're going to submit it to the feds and it's just sitting there waiting. I think that obstacle is easier to overcome when you tell someone that. So I say, Hey, you know, do you want to put a hundred bucks down and then just pay for it later? We'll get you started today. We'll run through all the paperwork. We'll create a free gun trust for you. We'll do all the ATF paperwork. We'll get it submitted. And you're just in the waiting game and you're not having that much money out of pocket. And then a lot of people sort of come into the mix, go, all right, I'm in, you got me. <laughs> that'd be perfect like how do how do hunter or how do people do that do they just call let, let me go back to your yeah. website here so contact info uh, they, they can just call like this customer service number and say hey i want to start making yeah. payments towards the um, yeah suppressor yeah totally yeah it's, exactly because people will think oh well they're not going to submit it till i'm done paying no, no 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 we'll just call if you know so here's my experience. So if we call and tell your silencer is approved and we say, hey, you owe 75 bucks, 100% of people pay that and say, send me the, send me the silencer, you know. So <laughs> it, it works out. It works out well. But, yeah, they just call us. I mean, you know, people can buy them online. That works great. Or they can call us. I mean, the good thing about calling us is, like I talked about earlier with, you know, some people would have never known that there's this multi, multi-caliber concept where you could buy one and use it for everything. When I first started doing this, all the 30-cal suppressors were always steel, and no one would ever have put a steel suppressor on a 243 or a 223. But now all of ours are titanium. So then that's, you know, it's a lot lighter to put on the front end and you're not really losing a whole lot of efficiency because the suppressor is longer made for the 30. So then you can use it on the 6.5. You can use it on the, you know, 243 and the 223. But yeah, if they just call us, we, you know, we work with people, help them figure out what they need. Um, our our uh, sort of feedback is that after a pr- person goes through the entire process, they like having a sales guy that's theirs. You know, I've got a call center here, like 35 mm-hmm. guys. That's all they do all day long is hunt, fish, shoot. Um, I, you know, I see them on Facebook. That's that's all they do when they're not here. So it's kind of a cool person to talk to and say, hey, what do you think? What, what should I get? What should I do? And then you have that point of contact. So if you say, hey, where am I in the process? Or, hey, you know, I bought this weird Winchester and it's got this you know, device on the front, what are the threads on that? So I can make sure my silencer fits that. Then you have a person that can, you know, text back and forth with you and answer questions super easy. But yeah, we found that people just call our call center, talk to our guys and, um, you know, they, they give them the benefits of the multi-calibers. They give them the benefits of, you know, getting a trust so that you can share your suppressor with your friends and pick who gets it when you pass away and um, talk through how the process we mail it to your front door. So we're licensed. So one thing I didn't mention is I, I personally or our business that I own has a physical location in every state where silencers are legal. So I have a federal farms license. I have a W2 employee that works at every one of those locations. And that person is one that manages the paperwork for that state. So in Idaho, if you, 
if someone lived in Idaho, we would manage all the paperwork through um, our Idaho location. And when it's approved, we mail it to your front door from Idaho. So that's how we're able to sell to everyone in all 42 states. We don't use somebody else. We use it's actually our people. Oh, that's cool. That'd be a cool job, yeah. man. I'll be your Idaho guy. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. There's I'm, always states I'm looking for. My, and I never my resume, know who to call. <laughs> my resume sucks. He could barely spell his name, and he talks funny. But hey, <laughs> yeah, you know it's it's funny because uh, you know when I first started, I was like, man, I don't know that I know people in 42 states. And I was yeah. honest with them when I hired them. I was like, you know, I may never sell anything in Vermont. I may never sell anything in Alaska. I don't know. But if I hire you, I'll pay you monthly until I do. And, so it wasn't a hard sales pitch then, but you know, now it's really taken off. So some of these guys are like, Oh wow, I'm thinking about phasing out my day job. I mean, I'm making more money from you than my day job. I'm like, Well, that's good. That's there everyone wins. There you <laughs> Capitalism go. at its best. That's that's yeah, that's fantastic. I I'm sold, man. I really want to get this Spanish backcountry and I want to get one for my two two or uh my, my AR. Uh the the question I have is what is I guess walk me through why people get them for shotguns. Is that for mostly like home defense kind of situations or, or what's the draw there? Yeah. You know, we sell more of them than you would think. Um, and there's really? only one man. Yeah. There's only one manufacturer that makes them, you know, we're in pheasant country, but still, I mean, we sell, um, you know, Texas is our biggest state. I, I honestly, I think it's a novelty. Um, you know, the one benefit is you don't have to thread your barrel. Basically the adapter screws into your choke uh, threads and it becomes your choke and that's what adapts it to it. Those suppressors are also modular, so you can make them longer and shorter, which is which is nice. Um, it, you know, it does keep it quieter. Somebody's in a duck blind and they don't want their dog and the people shooting with them to have to get deaf, then they want to be able to hear those ducks come in. It's attractive. Um, huh. Yeah, you, I've seen people. Did you say it ahead. works as a choke? Like it would work? You could you could uh, use it as like a turkey choke. Yeah. So basically, um, you know, you ask the customer, what choke do you want? A modified, a full choke. What do you want for your adapter? And that screws it. So your choke comes out, this screws in and it's essentially a choke, but it has an extension on the choke that holds the suppressor in alignment. And then what's interesting is there's a little, it's almost like a little bars are, are that, that go all the way through the suppressor that carry your watt all the way through so that it doesn't open up until it exits the suppressor. Interesting. Okay. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. That's way cool. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. I, it's kind of different. Yeah. I have a, I have a like more of a technical question here and you could, you could tell some of these questions will reveal to you that, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't joking when I said, I know nothing about these. Um, so oh, sure. No problem. You'd mentioned it reduces recoil and the, the yes. question, the question I would have for you is, uh, I, I, I kind of mentioned my, my two daughters hunt with me. Yep. Um, and we do both bow hunting and rifle hunting. And so the rifle hunting, my, uh, my daughters are small. And so yep. recoil is a big factor for me. Uh, yeah. my one daughter is, is uh, left handed. She's a left lefty shooter. Uh, she's actually right handed, but she's a, she's a lefty shooter. Um, so I bought her this left lefty, uh, 308. And yep. the idea was I was going to put a muzzle brake on it to reduce the recoil. Oh would, yeah. Would it make would it make more sense to do a silencer on that uh, recoil wise? You know the studies we've done, and I've sent them off to like testing labs just so it's not me testing them because it, it, it's hard to test the actual 
you know, recoil reduction of a silencer versus suppressor versus muscle break, unless you truly have equipment made for that. Yeah. But I sent ours down to Texas to this guy I met at Shacho who tested them for us. And you're seeing a 40 to 45% reduction recoil, which based, if you believe the statistics people are giving you on the brakes, that's pretty much the same. Um, and part okay. of it is, yeah, part of it is, you know, I talked earlier about the goal is to slow the gas, not the bullet, slow the gas down before it exits. So it has a chance to cool, which makes it quieter. So that same action that's holding that gas back is what makes it work as a recoil reducer. Um, you know, I've seen scenarios where, um, you know, unfortunately not a suppressor we make, but I've seen videos online where someone's shooting a suppressor and it blows off the end and you just see that. A recoil that person wasn't anticipating and it gives them you know the scope mark on the eye so it's a it's a good visual of wow that thing's reducing recoil significantly more than i thought when you see it blow off the end uh and then you see that gun kick back but i know mean, it's super popular i've got a daughter too my daughter's 15 and we shot a black buck the other day when we were down in texas on one of the um you know exotic game ranches and i had her on a 6.5 and i, I don't even think recoil is an issue after the 6.5 and then putting yeah. a suppressor on the end She's just like, oh, man, I love this. I'm in. How do we do more of this, Dad? <laughs> well, I mean, I, the way you're talking, a 40 or 45% uh, recoil reduction would be huge for my girls. Uh, so in thinking thinking on those lines, if it's, if it's not like this substantial difference, even if, let's say, a muzzle brake was 40% reduction and a... Uh, one of these suppressors was a 30% reduction, I would pick the suppressor because you have all the other benefits of having that. And so yeah. that... I don't know. It makes a lot of sense. So that's yeah, because the muzzle brake just makes it louder, and anyone who's near them, which is probably going to be you, with her, is going to get that blast. It's louder. I know. That's so, why I've been hesitating. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you at Shot Show next week? I mean, we're we have a setup at uh, Industry Day at the range. I've got a three seventy five H and H with a suppressor that you'd be shocked. I mean, more industry people sit behind that three seventy five H and H. I mean, it's an elephant gun and shoot that with a suppressor on there. And they walk away with, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. That's so amazing. Wow, Here, video me because really? I can't believe it. <laughs> huh. No, I'm, I'm not going to be at SHOT Show. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah right, no. sorry. I, uh, I live, dude, I live on a homestead in North Idaho. I, I it's a, it's really hard for me to leave in the wintertime. No, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. So anyway, but. Uh, next Maybe I'll year, have to come visit you year, and bring one. <laughs> you might have to bring your elephant gun, man. I, I've, got, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've got 26 acres here. We can we can set it up and shoot. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, well, that's uh, that, uh, this has been really educational. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that uh, I think that if if I didn't know it, and there were other people that were really thinking along the lines of, well, you know, what are the benefits of having a suppressor on on my my hunting rifle? Because I think a lot of people think that. It, these are for, you know, a hitman going into a house yeah. to keep the keep the pistol quiet, kind of thing. Yeah, because uh, totally. we've all seen those movies. Oh um, yeah, and, yeah. But it's it's really not. There's a lot of advantages to having one of these on on your uh, hunting weapon, um, and you know whether we're trying to reduce or disorient where the shot is coming from, so a grizzly bear doesn't come steal your elk, or whether you're trying to not scatter coyotes. Uh, if they're coming in in mass or wolves like you and I are going to go do next year, <laughs> there uh, we go. <laughs> you, you know, all that it, it's, there's, there's a lot of advantages. Is there anything else you'd want the audience to know about putting one of these on a, on a hunting weapon that we haven't covered? You know, I, I, I can't think of anything. I mean, I think you brought up a good point about the hearing. Um, I think that, um, over the years, my father was in the army and I've just seen his, hearing continue to go down from just, you know, firearm use from being in the military. And 
I think one thing that I, it was a good realization for me to see firsthand, but I found that, you know, my dad is going to hit towards dementia quicker than someone else because he, he doesn't communicate because he can't hear what you're saying. So mm. if you're trying to carry on, a, he doesn't want to start a conversation because he knows he can't hear your response. And then he, you kind of be, you kind of become, you know, to yourself where you're not interacting and engaging with other people. And then that just affects you for, you know, longevity of life. So it's interesting as they're looking at these studies saying that as hearing goes down, it has a higher propensity to putting you into a dementia and not interacting as well with people. You know, I have people that come up to the booth and yeah, you have people come up to the booth at shows and they're like, well, I'm already deaf. It doesn't matter. It's just sort of that reminder that, boy, you want to preserve what you got. Yeah, that's, That's the thing that this ear doctor was telling me is, is she was like, you know, once, once you've had the, the damage to your ear, um, it's not like with, if you don't have any loud sounds going on for the rest of your life, it's not like it's going to continually drop. But every time you do make your ears ring, that is damaging yeah. them further and, and in some cases more substantially. And, you know, what kind of chaps my ass with the entire situation is when I was getting out of the Marines, we had just gotten back from Iraq. So a lot of us were stop loss past the point in which we, we were already supposed to be transitioned out in, as civilians. We were already we were past our enlistment. And so they really rushed the whole process to get us out. And I remember they sent me back to do the hearing test part twice. And that was odd because I was one of the only guys that uh, that had to do that. And right. this this doctor that I just went to this week, she had my records, and she's like, "You know, you failed your hearing test twice the week you got out. Yeah, the when you were transitioning wow. out, and they didn't tell me that. They didn't. The, I just I thought I did great. You know, every time I heard the yeah. beep, I pushed the button. Good deal. Yeah. But yeah, they yeah. they never told me that, and so that kind of chaps my ass a little bit. But. Uh, I guess it's just part of the process here, so I want to protect it, and I'll do I'll do whatever I can to continue hunting as avidly as I do now without damaging my ears. And I think this suppressor uh, is a great option, especially now that I'm hunting with my girls. If I can get them to a point in which it's reducing their recoil and it's protecting all of our ears, that I mean, yep. come on, it's it's yeah. it's a win win. Oh, and totally. plus plus the fact you'll let me pay it off while uh, we're waiting <laughs> yeah. for the ATF, right? I mean, it's exactly. Like, yeah. It's a great, yeah. It's a great and way. I have a hard time. Yeah. I have a hard time communicating that. Cause I think people are like, Oh, he's going to charge interest and fees. I don't want to do that. And I'm always like, Oh, I mean, other people might, we don't, I mean, it just, it works in our business model. Cause silencer central is a manufacturer. We're a wholesaler. We're a dealer. So we're like a single point of contact for the whole thing. So, yeah. you know, it's easy math for me that if someone doesn't pay, we don't send the suppressor. We just say, Hey, so you should pay. We'll ship it to you. So there's really no risk on my part other than we did all the work to get it approved. But, um, you know, that, that's worth it to get more people into the mix. Because like I said before, most of the suppressors are owned by a small group of people because they've gone through the process. They love it. They buy more. So my goal is how do I get more people in it? And like 40% of my sales are repeat buyers. So they went through the process. Oh, wow, they love good. it. And they get another one. Yeah, yeah good absolutely. Good for you. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, we try. All right. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of industries and businesses that would envy that kind of number. So that's, that's totally. Yeah. 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 Totally. Well, Brandon, this has been awesome, man. I, I feel Good. like I've, I've been uh, properly educated on, on a subject that I knew nothing about, and uh, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me. And I, I, I want to also thank uh, my buddy Baker Levitt out there in Florida. Yeah. Yeah, no, Baker's up, a good guy. Yeah. You know, and I've seen him, I've seen him publicly on video um, uh, podcasts say this. So I'm not releasing something he hasn't publicly said, but, you know, he wears hearing aids. He's a younger guy. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so I, I think uh, that's why he's a big, you know, proponent of it as well, too. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think I think uh, I'm going. That's the route I'm going. I'm going to be in here. It's just what the doctor said. You've got to wear hearing aids, and I don't want to miss any Ooh. more elk because sometimes yeah. those elk they just kind of give you this little response in there <laughs> right. just far enough my girls are like looking at me like didn't you hear that let's do this man <laughs> a deaf old daddy didn't hear it sorry about that <laughs> so, oh fantastic well uh where can people find silencer central uh where would you direct them to yeah you know i would say hey do a google search silencercentral.com or type in silencercentral.com you know, up in the right-hand corner, you're going to see a phone number. Just call us. doesn't mean you have to buy. Just ask questions. Um, you know, we got people sitting by the phones from like 8 a.m. till 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. So we're kind of always here. If you call and leave a message, they're going to call you back. Um, mm -hmm. and like I said, these people are excited to talk about what they do all day and, you know, the benefits the presser has. But, yeah, I mean, you obviously could buy online as well. So whatever is easier for you, we just find people have a better experience because it takes a while to get it. They like having a point of contact internally that they can bounce ideas off of and questions and that's why if they, they call in and create that personal relationship, which, you know, yeah. works for works for most people. Works for everybody. And guys listening, uh, when you jump on the website at silencercentral.com, which will be in the show notes, uh, that the easy pay plan is is on the website there. I just found it as, as we were talking. So it kind of – Yeah, and that's – that. Yeah, good question. And the easy pay plan, like on the website, I think just for simplicity, we have like you do four payments. But if you call us and say, hey, I want to do six payments, I want to do eight payments, I want to pay quarterly, like we can work with you. So okay. the website, I think it was like we picked one way and then it's just kind of set for our checkout. But you know, if you call our guys and say, hey, I just want to put a hundred bucks down and get started and pay a hundred bucks a month or whatever, that's fine. Yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do. That's, that's fantastic. I, I love it. <laughs> I love it. So. Cool. Uh, cool. Also, the website has like a big learn section. There's all sorts of stuff, guys. So jump on there and check it out. Is there a social media page you want to direct them to? Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, Silencer Essentials on Instagram or on Facebook. Of course, they limit, you know, what we can put up there related to firearms. But yeah, yeah if you do a Google search, we've done a good job on search engine optimization where our website is typically ranked one or two and anything silence related, you know. When you do something for 20 years, Google figures you must know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. I would say so. Well, yeah. Congratulations on that and uh, growing a, a fantastic business, employing 300 plus people. And uh, it's just, I, I'm always, I'm always, I get really enthusiastic when I hear this story, this American story of somebody who had an idea and a passion and they took it from, uh, you know, basically out of a garage into what yeah. like Silencer Central is. It's, it's, uh, I'm always, uh, pumped when I, when I hear this story. This is, this is what America is about. And, uh, I appreciate you doing what you're doing and I appreciate you joining me, man. This is a great time. Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate it. Yeah. It's great that you didn't have, uh, as much knowledge. You could ask hard questions, which is great. I love it. <laughs> sounds good. Well, let's plan to do it again sometime and, uh, let's keep in touch. All right. That sounds great. You made it. That's the end of the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please make sure you're following us on Instagram at the Western Huntsman and write us a good review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.